Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. We've been in a series called Church of Power. How many of you enjoyed the series so far? <laughs> this is the first time we've done a series in a while, but it's because it's been on my heart that I say it every week, the Lord is restoring the church to a church of power. More than just words, but in deeds. That, that we don't just talk about what kingdom looks like, but that kingdom is exemplified. It is, it is acted out in every way that we live. Because Paul said it like this, I did not come to you with excellency of speech. <laughs> Obviously. I didn't come to you with that. He said, listen, the way I came to you, the way I talked was not what attracted you to this gospel. What attracted you to this gospel was the power. It was the fact that this gospel was show and tell. A lot of times God would show them something and then he would tell them what that was. It wasn't just a lot of talk. It wasn't just words. But as, as he displayed kingdom and as he displayed what the kingdom looked like, then he explained it. And we need to get to the place and we're getting to the place and it's going to happen where we're not talking about kingdom in theory. You understand what I'm saying? Where we don't just talk about people being healed on a constant basis or we don't talk about poverty being broken on a constant basis, but this becomes our reality. Listen, having a lot of money doesn't make you super spiritual, but neither does being broke. We have to learn what it looks like to carry and to steward everything that God has given us. So what does it look like for us to be a church of power? A church that reads this book and believes it. A church that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit because without Him, we have nothing. How do we know? Because before Jesus actually started His ministry, you saw Him become baptized. And as He came up, the Holy Spirit descended upon Him. The heavens were open. They were literally ripped apart. And it never said that they closed. That's why we believe that we live under an open heaven. Because it didn't open and the Holy Spirit descended and then close again. We live under an open heaven where the Holy Spirit is pouring out His anointing. He's pouring out His oil. He's pouring out His Spirit. I was, we were doing pre-service prayer earlier and Jonathan came up to him. He's like, I feel like we're standing in water. <laughs> He's so funny. He's like, literally, it's like something's in this room. It's the presence of the Lord. That's why some of you don't even understand what's happening, but you're drawn back. And you continue to come because in the kingdom, a lot more is felt than is understood. A lot of times something will happen to your spirit and people will come into the church and they'll start crying and they don't even know why they're crying. Because when the presence of God comes upon you, it demands a response. Something happens to your spirit that it happens here before it hits here. Something begins to well up on the inside of you where you begin to realize and all the walls of insecurity, all the doubt, all the garbage that has attached itself to you begins to fall off. And so you begin to live life with more courage. You begin to live life with more boldness. You begin to look like what it is, understand what it is to have true freedom. Because true freedom is not found in programs. True freedom doesn't come in steps. True freedom hits you the moment you say yes to him. The moment you open up your heart, you understand it's more than words. It's more than words. You can say the prayer. That's why we don't, you, you'd never see me lead you in a prayer because it has to be your prayer. 
It has to be a, an instance, a situation where you open up your heart and you say, God, come have your way. And then you have to mean it. <laughs> because he begins to take things away. And he begins to give you new things. But your sanctification process, you becoming what God has called you to be, has less to do with what's inside of you and more to do with you realizing what he put in there. That little by little, the truth of the gospel is unveiled. And you begin to realize that I do not have to bow to giants. You begin to realize that I can walk into impossible situations. You begin to walk past injustice and it begins to bother you. It does. You begin to walk past things and you cannot, you can't sit in the same place because you know there's something on the inside of you that can do something about that. This week, I'm just going to share with you some testimonies from this church from this week. Because this is the new norm. This week, Cub was going to the gym. And he left. He's like, I got to go to the gym. And on the way to the gym, he's like, the Lord told me that I shouldn't go to the gym. Which I feel that way every time I go to the gym. Every time. Every time. Every single time. I just got to start being obedient. So he's going to the gym. And, and as he's going to the gym, he gets there. He's like, I, I'm not supposed to be here. So on his way out, if you know Crunch, there's a wall wall there. Stops at the wall wall. And, and he asked that morning during prayer because we believe that you should spend time with the Lord in the morning because we prioritize the beginning of our day for him. So he asked the Lord, Lord, show me today who is the one. So he walks into Wawa and he sees a homeless guy. And as he walks past the homeless guy, his, his spirit is quickened. You understand? Something happens where I was like, oh man, I got to do something about that. So he walks up to the guy and he begins to dialogue to him. He doesn't just walk up to him and say, hey, man, I'm a Christian. Let me pray for you and do a quick 30-second prayer. He wants to know the guy because people need to know that they're seen. And they don't know that you love them if you don't see them. So he stops and he spends 30 minutes with the guy. And then he figures out some of the guy's needs. And then he takes him to Walmart because love looks like something. It's more than words. And so he takes him to Walmart. And he, he wouldn't even want me to share this, but you need to hear it. Because this is what the gospel looks like in a practical sense. You want to preach the millions, but you can't help the homeless guy at Wawa. You ain't getting anywhere. So he takes him into Walmart, and he blesses the guy, and then he takes him back to his Wawa. And, and I'm excited about it, right? I'm like, he calls me. He's excited. I'm excited because it, the gospel's beginning to take, it, it, there's traction now. It's not theory. It's happening. And so he comes out of the Wawa, and we're excited about the story. Then Kyle comes home from college. Where's Kyle? Somewhere in here. There he is. He comes home from college, and he comes to help us at the church. We're working here. He goes, man, I stopped at home. I was on my way home from, from college, and I stopped at the Wawa. I needed a drink, and when I stopped at the Wawa, I saw a homeless guy there. And as I saw the homeless guy, I took him inside, and I bought This is the gospel. The gospel is simple. There was no... Listen, it, it wasn't like, hey, maybe we can buy you something and you can come to Life Church. It wasn't that. It wasn't even, if I buy you this, you're going to pray my prayer. It was in that moment, I get to be Jesus with flesh on. This is the gospel. It's not just our leadership, man. Carol and them, they just, they just got a new car. And when they got the car, they met the guy. And when they met the guy, she said, I immediately knew something, something was up, right? So she asked the guy. What's going on? Find out that the guy has cancer. And they're having a rough time in life right now. So what do they do? They don't just pity him and say, I'm so sorry. They say, hey, man, 
you want to go out, I'm going to pay you what you want for the car. I'm not going to negotiate, which is a big deal. I'm going to pay you what you're asking, and I'm going to take you out to dinner, and I'm going to pay, and I'm going to get to know you. People asking, I don't know how to change the world. That's what it looks like. It's you simply looking at the opportunity in front of you and realizing that every single day, God is putting people in your path. This gospel is simple. It's you opening your eyes to opportunity and realizing that there are no superstar Christians. Every single person has been given the Spirit of God. And every single person has been given a gift. And the only way to keep what you have been given is to give it away. That's the way things work in kingdom. To live, you must die. To receive, you must give. To go high, you must go low. So many times we're imparted and we go to conferences and we go to special services. Lord, touch me. And the truth is, you are so full, you can't even see straight. And so we come into church and we got a bunch of spiritual gluttons. Fill me up, God. And God's like, bro, you are full. You're so full, it's sick. How about you go pour out? What does it look like to pour out? We just talked about it. A simple hello with a smile. And a world full of people that pass you by. You stop. And you love. There's no agenda. The Lord said, I'm going to, the Lord has spoken to us. I've spoken to you about this, about how he's going to give us favor with the LGBT community. I don't know if I said that right. He is. Because we don't believe that it is our job to change people. I don't believe, I, I know I have one job, and my only sole job is to love. So we don't preach against sin because it's not my job to convict people of sin. It's my job to look for opportunities and love the person in front of me. And as we love, we become a body of people who are giant killers. Ah, we become a body of people that the enemy, listen, I don't want to be, I don't want to be popular to you, man. I want to be popular in hell. I want hell to know when I walk into a room, everybody who's been influenced by the devil is about to be in trouble. Ooh, I want to be, I want to know, I want to know that what I preach is what I carry. And the only way to know that is to go, and as you go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Feed the homeless. Give clothes to the broken. Love on people who are passed by. The list goes on and on and on and on. And so maybe you're here and you feel unqualified. Good. We all do. You're in good company. Because the moment you begin to feel qualified is the moment the Spirit of God lifts off of you. Because we need to learn to be dependent on Him. Fully dependent. I live my life for one moment that the moment I stand in front of my King Jesus that I know I have done everything I have exhausted my resources to do everything I could to please him it's all I want I've been working here all week and it's great man this is awesome but none of it matters if lives are not changed so I pray on my face this morning Lord if you don't come none of this crap matters none of it because one day I stand in front of him and he's not going to go, Gio, I loved your LED squares. They were awesome. <laughs> he's not going to say it. I love them. They look great. But he's not going to say it. The only thing that's going to matter is what did you do with what I entrusted you with? 
And you living out that gospel looks like you going beyond yourself and stepping into divine destiny. Being like David, a man after the very heart of God. David was not perfect. He was not qualified. The Bible did say he was dark and handsome, and I can relate. I was not tall. I get it. I get it. But the story of David in, in, in my life has been one of the most influential things because we read about his story, but we don't realize that everybody overlooked him. Nobody saw in David what David saw in himself. You read in 1 Samuel 16, and there's this dialogue, right? The, the people had chosen the king, and the king was Saul. They were, he, they, he was the people's choice. He was the one that everybody thought, this is what we need. And then as you read the story, you figure out that goes, that, that goes south real quick. And so the Lord speaks to Samuel and he goes, Samuel, I, I have chosen. I'm not pleased with Saul. And it grieves Samuel. Because it should. When the Lord's not pleased, you should not be pleased. And as he goes, he speaks to him. He goes, I'm going to anoint my king because God's choice is always better than man's choice. And so he chooses and he's going. And he gets to the house of Jesse. Can I talk to you about David for a little bit? He gets to the house of Jesse and he begins to look. And, and Jesse gathers all of his sons that he thinks would be qualified, right? Even Samuel comes in and he looks at one of them and goes, that must be the one. And everybody's getting ready for the right person that they believe fits the right qualifications that the Lord is going to need, but the right guy is not in the house. And so the Lord speaks to him, and he speaks to Samuel, and he says this, do not judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. This is the one that Samuel thought was the right one. And then it says this, the Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you thankful today that it's not about how you look, about how you dress? That's why we say at your church, you can come however you want because it's irrelevant to God. It says it right there. He judges by what's going on on the inside of your heart. And so they continue the dialogue, right? And then David comes in. Let me get to the scripture. If you want to see it, we're in 1 Samuel 16. comes in they call David and the Lord speaks to him and he says this is the right one and he becomes anointed and the anointing prepares him for the position right you need to hear this the anointing the outpouring of the oil which represents the Holy Spirit represents the anointing which empowered him and at that moment he had everything he needed to be king and you would think well his next step would obviously be kingship but it wasn't David went from anointed to be king to serving the king. Read it. He did not find himself being king or stepping into kingship. His promotion came after a season of serving the very person he thought he was supposed to be. The very person that he already knew the Lord had rejected. You need to hear this. This is important. Because his next step was not becoming king. He... The Lord opened up doors, right? You begin to hear, you see that the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and he became tormented. And he began to ask, I need something. And they, 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 they said, well, I know this guy named David. It wasn't even a family. I know this guy named David. When he plays music, something begins to happen. 
And now David finds himself in the room of the king, serving the king, but he did not knock down any doors. You need to hear this because sometimes the Lord will mark you, he will anoint you, he will choose you, he will speak to you, but it does not mean that your next step is into that season. And so you become discouraged, you think you don't have to serve because the Lord has spoken. Listen, many times your season of promotion comes through a season of serving. You want to be a giant killer man? You want to step into different realms? Learn to serve the person in front of you. You don't have to knock down. We didn't knock down any doors to come here. We didn't. We landed at this church after one meeting where I was like, I know I'm young, but I want a pastor, please. With my foot like this. Can I please? And they called me and we tried out and here we are. Because when the spirit of the God anoints you and it comes and it marks you, it speaks to you, your gifting, your anointing will make room for you. It will open up doors that you can never open. Here's the truth, man. Do you really want to open up your own doors? God spoke to Abraham and he gave him a promise. And he became weary in the promise. And he ended up with an Ishmael. Because he thought he would take matters into his own hands. Now Ishmael was still blessing, but it wasn't covenant. God still blessed him. But it wasn't his best. And my fear is that God speaks to us and he gives us dreams because we should be a church of dreamers. Where God births stuff inside of us and he speaks to us and we're running at full capacity. But we got to realize that timing is important. And my fear is that we have a, a body of people out in the world that they're giving birth to Ishmael's and they're calling it Isaac's. It's not. And so we have to wait on the timing of the Lord and realize that a lot of times before we receive the promotion we need, God will call us to a season of serving, even people we don't understand. This was a tormented guy who had issues. Yet God called him there for a season to serve. And then he goes on this dialogue, and you, gotta, you, gotta, you have to realize that David was waiting for his moment. From the moment David got anointed to the moment he stepped into kingship, it was about 20 years. 20 years. Now in a world of Amazon Prime, <laughs> in a world where I want it and I want it my way, give it to me now, I want a Chick-fil-A happy. The Lord speaks to us and we become, we become, oh, what's the word? Discouraged. We become desperate and then we begin to question whether we really heard the Lord. Maybe we're just in a season that we're called to serve the very people we don't understand. If you can't serve then you can't lead. And so David, he serves the king and then he's called and he comes, you continue to read the next chapter, Goliath comes on the scene and this is what we love to talk about all the time, right? Goliath comes on the scene and there's this one Philistine who is, oh, they are the forever enemies of the Israelites. And he comes on the scene and for 40 days he stands in front of the armies of Israel and he's taunting them. He's talking all this garbage. And all the men who are supposed to be fighting are cowarding. They're standing behind rocks. Nobody stands. There's one guy who's asking for one person. And the winner of this fight would be, would settle the whole war. Yet nobody stands up. Jesse sends David to go check on his brothers. And David shows up on the scene. And when he shows up on the scene, what does he do? He sees injustice. Who is this Philistine who is defying the armies of God? Huh. 
because you got to realize when things come against you they don't just come against you when you walk with the Lord they are literally coming against the plans of the Lord on your own strength it wouldn't make sense because in the, in the natural David was not enough but David with the anointing David with identity David knowing who he was propelled him it qualified him to stand in front of the giant so David comes on the scene and he begins to ask questions who is this man? Who's going to do something about this? It should be the question. Listen, we've got to stop asking people who should do something about it and just do something about it. I'm telling you, we can't wait. It's not time to wait. So he comes. And as soon as he steps up, all the haters begin to rise up. They always do. They always do. If you don't got haters, you just aren't doing anything right. You just aren't. So he begins to talk. And his brothers come up, who do you think you are, right? Because they're looking at him in the natural. They had missed it when he was in the field with the sheep, where he had slain the lion, slain the bear. They, had, they missed it when he was spending time with the Lord as he ministered unto him. This was the primary, you got to hear this. This was the primary, it was the most important thing about David. That he did not have an attitude where he just came to the Lord asking. He knew when it was just him and his instrument in the field that he ministered unto him. When you minister unto the Lord, identity comes. And as you see him, you begin to see yourself. That's why we have people who are not walking in identity because they base their Christianity on a pastor. They base their Christianity on a minister they see on TV. And so then the minister fails and they think their world falls apart. But when you minister unto the Lord and you see him, that's why David said, this one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that I may gaze upon his beauty. Because as I see him, I see myself. And as I see myself, I am empowered to walk in the midst of Goliath and say, somebody's got to do something about that. And if you don't, I will. He was unaffected by the haters. He was unaffected by everyone who thought, who do you think you are? That only comes through identity. We've talked about all the haters who didn't understand or didn't know what it was going to be like when we came here. When we hauled a Penske truck into this, into this property and lived in that back building. Nobody understood it. But I knew that I had been on my knees and I had prayed to the Lord, God, you can put me anywhere. Put me anywhere. All I want is that your glory would fill me. If you, if you put me, make me what? Just, just do one thing for me. Plant me in a place where there are hungry people. You could put me in Africa. You could put me in India. You could put me in the trash dump. As long as there's hungry people, I will be there. As long as your glory is there, I'll be there. When you know that you walk into a place like that and that you understand the Lord is faithful, you begin to see Goliath and you understand Goliath must fall. It cannot stand. It cannot be. So what does it look like today? Today it may not be a literal person, but there are things like cancer. There are things like poverty. There are things like racism. Hello. These are giants in our community that we don't need people to talk about it. Part of the problem when David showed up on the scene is there were people talking about the problem. 
the more they talked about the problem, the bigger Goliath got. Do you see him? Look at what he's saying. Is there anyone who's qualified? When you see David show up on the scene, he didn't want to hear none of that mess. He simply asked, who is he and who's doing something about it? It's a different mindset. And so David, is this okay? I know it, Lord, thank you. They finally settle, okay, you can fight the giant, but Saul goes, but I'm going to bring you over here and I'm going to prepare you for battle. How many of you know when you're in ministry and you want experience at this church, I'm never going to tell you how to minister because my armor is not your armor. He goes into Saul's, Saul's tent and he begins to put on the armor of Saul as he was preparing for battle. And as he puts it on, he realizes this is not the way I'm supposed to fight. Listen to this, bro, because there's so many people who are trying to operate in the kingdom under somebody's anointing. You're not called to pray how I pray. You're not called to worship how I worship. You're not called to preach how I preach. You're not called to live the way that I live. The moment he put on the armor, he realized this is not me. I love it. And he begins to strip it off. Now you have to realize that this was the best armor in the camp. There was no armor better than the king's armor. Yet in that moment, it did not feel right. When you begin to understand identity, if you're going to be a giant killer, you have to learn to feel comfortable in your own flesh. You have to learn to love yourself and to battle the way God has called you to battle. It may look pretty with the sword and with the beautiful armor, but what if God has called you to battle with a sling and a rock? What if God has called you to war in a different way and you've got this heavy armor in a way you've never had it on before? And so we compare ourselves. What an injustice you do to yourself when you compare. What an injustice that you would compare somebody's highlight on their Instagram to the worst moment of your life. And so David strips off the armor and he goes, no, 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 no. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to stick with my rock and my little rock sack and my sling. And everybody thought he was crazy. You got to understand, they're like, this is going to be a bad day for David. This is not going to end well. Nobody was like, David, we think David's awesome because we know the end result. But everybody in the process is like, that fool has lost it. He came with breakfast and now he thinks he's going to kill the giant. This is the process that's happening. And so finally it's the moment. And David is standing before the giant. And watch the dialogue that happens. Goliath is challenging Israel. And David in chapter 17 verse 32, David says this. Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way this is Saul. You can possibly win. You're a boy. And this is when David tells him, listen, I fought the lion, I fought the bear. Nobody knew about this. This was the first time you understood that the secret place that nobody knew about had propelled him to stand in front of Goliath. This is why we talk at our church that without the secret place, without intimacy, there it can be no fruit. 
Had David not been in the secret place, had he not slain the lion and the bear when nobody saw it, he probably would never have stood in front of Goliath. It was what he did in the unseen place that propelled him to stand in front of the giant and go, no, I've been here before and I know the result. <laughs> so he tells Saul, this is what's going to happen. And I'm getting here now. Goliath is taunting, verse 45. Goliath, Goliath is taunting David, who do you think you are? And he's saying all this fun stuff. And then David says this. You come to me with the sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you, say, I come to you. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Understand, David did not come to Goliath in the natural. From the very beginning, he was not impressed by his dialogue. He did not talk about his height or his stature. From the very beginning, he says, I see your threats, but I want to tell you who I come with. I come, and I come with all of heaven's armies. You may not see it. You may not understand it. You may not feel it, but you better know when you fight me, you fight kingdom. <laughs> It's a shift. He's not talking about the problem. He's talking to the problem. It's, it's, it's what happens. Listen, you've got to hit a point in your faith where you stop dialoguing about all the issues that the devil's throwing at you. It's not doing you no good. You're saying, well, I can't talk about my issues. No, you could talk about them. You can be real. You know we're real here. But there has to be a moment where you stop talking about what's going on and you begin to speak to it. Where you begin to speak to your finances. You begin to speak over your son. You begin to speak over your daughter. You begin to speak over our community. Are you hearing me? Where you begin to see things happen and you don't have to go and quit your job, but you just begin to declare, there is open heavens over my family. There is open heavens over my marriage. There is open heavens over... You are no longer speaking about the issue, but you are speaking directly to it because you know that as you go, the God and the heaven's armies are behind you. There is no difference. This is an old covenant. This is pre-Jesus dying. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. Then he says this, today the Lord will conquer you. I love that. It's not David. Maybe if you would have tried to kill the giant on your own strength, you would have died. But when you know the Lord is going to do it. And I will kill you and cut your head off. I love it. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. He's just going off. The whole world will know there is a God. Listen, he's, it's about to be bad for you, bro. You don't even know it. And no. Everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with the sword and the spear. Not with anything in the natural. Not with what you thought was going to work for your victory. This is the Lord's battle and he, he will give you to us. And watch this. A lot of times, giant killers are not seen. But they're always heard always heard I get around people and sometimes they look like giant killers but then when they begin to talk 
because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of here will always display what's in here. Always. How do I know David believed what he said? How do you know? It might have been bold. There's lots of people that proclaim the same things we preach from our pulpit. Lots of people. We're going to change the world. We're going to grow. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And that we're going to do it. And they're standing on the edge, of the, uh, on the ledge, right? And this is like the promise. And they're like, we're going to do it. And everybody's like, can you just jump already? <laughs> we're going. Here we go. But they don't jump. The reason you know that David believed what he was saying is, you read the rest and he says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. If David had not believed, he was just waiting on Goliath. He spoke to the giant. He let him know what was about to happen, that it was about to go down. And the moment Goliath came up, he ran towards Goliath. The Lord didn't come out and knock down Goliath. Heaven's armies did not come and the angels didn't hold him down. He had to move. He had to go. He had to respond. Because, listen, spiritual release is always preceded by physical obedience. When you step, God steps. So many times we're waiting, well, Lord, do it. The Lord is saying, step. If you believe what you preach, then you got to go. You, well, I just don't see the sick get healed. How many sick people do you pray for? I just don't know if God raises the dead. Well, how many dead people have you prayed for? I just don't know if God's really, my finances, well, how much do you give? You've been, you know me that I'm not a money guy, bro, but listen. Don't cry about not living in blessing when you can't even trust God with your money. God does not have all of you until he has your money. He doesn't. God doesn't have a problem with money. He has a problem with the love for money. You don't want to hear that. So here he is. And he's standing. And everybody's watching. The people behind him don't believe in him. The people in front of him don't believe in him. Goliath thinks, in this moment, the only one who believes in David is David. I love it. What a crazy, ah, uh, I love it. As he begins to run towards Goliath, he takes the rock out, he throws it, and Goliath is killed. But not only is he killed, he did, he took Goliath's sword, the thing that was meant to kill him, and he cut off his head with it. This is, this scene in heaven is rated R. And in that moment, everybody had to shut their mouths. The dialogue went from, who does David think he is? to everybody singing songs about the warrior David. <laughs> everybody singing songs about how David is a great warrior, but it didn't happen until he spoke to the giant and run at him. It didn't happen until he take, took care of the sheep and he ministered unto the Lord and he took care of what was in front of him. And at the right moment, it propelled him for destiny. And it's what the Lord is looking for today. He's not looking for good people. If we minimize Christianity to just us being good people, then we're just a social club. If we minimize Christianity and we circle it around building bigger buildings and fancier things, and it's all about what we can do, then we miss the point. 
It's a nice kumbaya, but it's just a kumbaya. But when we begin to prepare people for battle, I told you I'm not building a church, I'm recruiting an army. When we begin to prepare people for battle and we do not allow them to sit in the back lines, you don't. People come, I just don't know what's inside of me. I'm not asking you to be a pastor. I'm just, the person in front of you, you slay that giant. When somebody comes at you, they begin to speak negatively, you begin to speak life. When you begin to feel depressed, you lock arms with people who believe in kingdom. And you become vulnerable. You don't hide in your cave. Listen, in the Bible, there were four giants known in the Bible that were killed. Every one of the giants that were killed in the Bible were people who hung out with David. <laughs> Furthermore, the people who killed the giants were people that David found in the cave who were the misfits. Of, they were the misfits. They were the rejects of society. <laughs> so we pray crazy prayers like this around here. God, bring us everyone that nobody else wants. I'm not kidding. You say, well, you got some weird people in church. Good. Nobody understood David. So I know if, if, I, if I know if I could stop judging people by outward appearance and I could begin to look at people's hearts and we begin to speak life over them and we begin to pull out the gold, anybody, anybody can see dirt. Anybody can see garbage. I'm looking for people who can begin in the midst of the garbage to see gold. Even if it's just a little bit, we begin to look at those people and we begin to pull out of them what they don't see in themselves. And we begin to release them. Well, what if they fail? Good, they fail in a safe place. And we begin to say things like, hey man, you can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You begin to realize that I really am just clay in the hands of the master potter. You know what? I've seen people build, build things out of clay. I've never seen the clay tell the potter how to build. Have you seen that? I've never seen it. I've never seen the clay go, hey, man, hey, bro, maybe you should do this. Never seen it. Because the clay is at the mercy of the potter. And when you fully give yourself to the Lord, you begin to allow him to mold you. You ever seen clay? You ever seen some get built with clay? Sometimes the potter will begin to build. And it looks good, but there, then there's imperfection in the clay. And what do they do? They push it back down. <laughs> and there's pressure. I know we live in a society that doesn't want to talk about pressure. And I know we talk a lot about the goodness of God, but sometimes pressure is a good thing. Sometimes the pressure is not the devil. It's the Lord pushing out things inside of you. <laughs> it's, it's what happens when you pray things like, God, whatever you want to do. When you become a mature Christian and it stops becoming all about you, and you begin to say, God, whatever you have to do in my life, even if it hurts, whatever you got to take away, whatever you got to add, whatever, whatever you got to do, and you begin to feel this pressure. Some of the most beautiful things in the world require pressure. You got a ring on your finger, it's got a diamond. You don't know the pressure that thing went through to get on your finger. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to pray over you. Why don't we stand to our feet?